Yep. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jake. And we have a guest. We do. What's your name? My name's Donna Sinclair. Donna Hi guys. Sinclair. Welcome back. Thank you. It's ex- I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Thanks for letting me invite myself. What? No, you're always <laughs> invited. Every time we're like, this has been a long time coming. We constantly are just like, we got to get her on. We got to get her on. It's not as bad as CJ. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's cousin CJ wants to come on and we're just like, yeah, we'll get him on. We'll get him on. And it just never happens. Yeah. Scheduling is, is tough. Yeah. It's freaking early right now. I was partying last night. Yeah. You were at uh, Backstreet Boys. Yeah, I was. It was Ooh. awesome. It was so amazing. I wanted to go really bad, but I had to work. and. <sighs> so cool i'm such a fangirl talking about mic bumps you oh, just sorry. bumped the table Whoa, he's talking, talking he was talking it. all sorts of garbage to me beforehand saying like <laughs> i bumped the table too much and then he goes and bumps it with his elbow repeatedly yeah that's okay i'm the boss yeah well you'll probably hear a lot of my dogs coming in another dog <laughs> yeah today. there we're, you go we're at my place today. we are at your house your new house and i got to meet tucker and Bo. yeah in person the legends <laughs> tucker and Bo. <laughs> And they're adorable. I've, and the cat. The yeah, cat is newt. adorable. Newt. Newt the cat. These dogs, I've never seen dogs play like this, ever. They just nonstop out the outside. It's insane. But anyways, how yeah. are you? Uh, I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> how but, late were you out? Uh, Like midnight. But it was, you know, you got to come off that high of Backstreet Boys. It takes a little while. Yeah, <laughs> all, imagine. Of, all of that nostalgia. Dude, okay, first of all, I've never seen so many women in one place, ever. I mean, I'm sure at the Women's March, but holy crap. It was, the whole arena was filled with women. And we, my niece didn't know we were going. And uh, I was like, what do you think we're doing? And she goes, I don't know, it's something big. It's pretty busy down here. We were over by the Rose Garden. And I was like, do you notice anything about the demographic? And she's like, no. I was like, look how many women are surrounding us. And she looks around, she's like, oh, there are a lot of women here. And I was like, what do you think we're doing? She's like, I, I don't. She thought it was like a like a women's rights organization thing or something, because I always talk to her about that stuff. And I was like, well, no, that would be cool, too. But it's just Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool, though. It this was is your 12 year old. Yeah. Yeah. She was excited, which I was hoping for. I wasn't sure she'd be as excited for, but she was. So. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not really a fangirl of Backstreet Boys. What? I'm well because I'm a mom of people who (laughs) (laughs) would have been Backstreet Boy fans. Yeah, it's generational. Yeah, they were pointing that out. They're like, all of you like clearly have been fans for 26 years. (laughs) Um, But there was a lot of young young kids and young girls there, which was cool. I thought, but it was fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. It was entertaining. They were silly, which I thought was cool. They didn't take themselves too seriously. They were they were having fun with it. But yeah, um, what's up with you? What's new with you? You said you had some things that you have going on that you wanted to talk about that I didn't know you were doing. Oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing a project on women in politics yeah. in Clark County. Yeah. So I thought that would be kind of fun to talk about. Um, it's an extension, essentially, of our Clark County Stories project, oh. which is the I Am Clark County project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just keeps moving on. That's cool. And uh, I'll tell you how it happened. So I was sitting at a, um, I'll just out myself, I'm mm-hmm. a Democrat, oh. at a women <gasps> at a women Democrats meeting. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking, geez, you know, there's this woman in there mm-hmm. who is one of the um, founders of the National Women's Political Caucus here mm-hmm. in Clark County. And I thought, geez, I should interview her. Mm-hmm. And then it occurred to me, hey, I should get some money and interview women in politics in right. Clark County. So I talked to Sue Peabody, who mm-hmm. is uh, the one who 
holds the purse strings at WSU Vancouver. (laughs) Um, So she has the ability to to get money. And I said, what if we did an extension of Clark County Stories? And Mm -hmm. it was for women in politics. Mm -hmm. And it turns out I'm not actually interviewing that particular person for this project because there's a woman suffrage exhibit coming up in August of 2020 at the Clark County Historical Society. Oh, and so um, cool. so we're partnering with them mm-hmm. again. And what I'm doing is interviewing women who have been in electoral politics mm-hmm. in Clark County. And so, so far, I have interviewed Pat Gelada mm-hmm. um, from Vancouver City Council, who mm-hmm. everybody knows and who's been associated with the museum. Right. And then I interviewed a woman named Judy Stanton mm-hmm. last week. Um, yeah, it was last Monday. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was a Clark County commissioner mm-hmm. um, starting in 1990. But before that, she was on school board. She was oh, wow. on the fire commission. Um, and I am interviewing, um, next week I'm going to be interviewing, um, a, somebody else. Um, I've reached out to Linda Smith, who's mm-hmm. a Republican who was in the state legislature mm-hmm. and, um, and then also became a Congresswoman. Uh, they responded initially, but I haven't got, I haven't gotten a confirmation, hmm. um, about that. So I'm interviewing Betty Sue Morris, um, who was on the Clark County commission. And then I'm also interviewing Nan Henriksen mm-hmm. and Nan Henriksen was the first female mayor in the whole area. She was the oh, female wow. mayor in, in, um, from 1983 to 1992 in Camas. So oh, 1983 oh. was pretty early for, a female mayor right. around here, right. especially. So the 19, she became a city councilor in 1981 and the mayor in 1983. So she's the person who was involved in essentially um, expanding East Clark County. So mm-hmm. Fisher's Landing, the Cascade Park area. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked with uh, zoning and things like mm-hmm. that to actually help with get um, the high tech industry in there right. and residential development. Mm. Um, so I'm talking with her next week and I'm pretty mm. excited about that. So that doesn't all sound that as exciting as it feels in right, my head right. because <laughs> for me, <laughs> right. for me to sit down and talk with these women, I'm not just talking with them about their zoning decisions, right? right, right. right. Um, but I'm talking with them about their biographies Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. where'd you grow up Uh, what was it like some of them were born in the 1940s and became active in electoral politics Mm -hmm. before it was common it was not common for these women to do these things Hmm. um so there were very few women in politics even at the local level Mm -hmm. um and so it's really, it's actually really fun to me to, for me to talk to yeah. them about their campaigns and their strategies oh, and how they yeah. thought about things and Way the challenges different. that they faced. And I mean, I've, I've had two interviews and I've learned a ton oh, already. I bet. I bet. So, so that's one of the things I'm involved in. We're going to do a conversation next March on, um, that'll be around women in politics. Okay. We're kind of an oral history panel, but mm-hmm. we'll also invite people to come and talk about women in political life. Right. So what issues are important to women mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and why is it important for people to vote? To participate. <laughs> to participate. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I just want to say, um, and then I'll stop talking because I'm you dominating here. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're doing a ballot party tomorrow mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. Uh, at Bridgeview Resource Center, which is in the Heights at 505 Omaha Way. This mm-hmm. probably will come out too late, but it's yes. it's a ballot party. Okay. And what we're doing is voter education. Okay. So we have... Um, we are going to have someone giving a presentation. You guys should come. You should come, Jeff. You would I love work. it. Oh, darn it. You I and your night you, yes, schedule. Yes. <laughs> you can't go anywhere or do anything. I can't. And I bet you have homework, huh, Jake? I work and homework. Work yeah. and homework always, <laughs> I have right? Been, I have been procrastinating so much on this policy memo I have to write. And oh. 
Yeah, this week is awful for me. <laughs> yeah, dog I'm watching. sorry. I'm sorry. It's hard. It's hard. But you you will survive. And then you'll look back and say, how did I do all of that at the same time? That was yeah. crazy. Yeah. I talk about that all the time. All the tears I had in my undergrad. When I forgot to go to my final. Remember that? Oh, for Goucher's class? No, it was a Soch uh, for what's his name? Oh, with uh, Dr. Russell. Yeah. Yeah. You forgot to go to a final? I thought it was the next day. And then uh, a colleague texted me and was like, hey, where are you? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, the final was just now. And I was like, no. Was that, I, was that Elise? Yeah, I oh, panicked okay. and I was like crying. <laughs> he was awesome, though. He let me take it the next day. You cool. know, I once missed uh, an introductory class. Mm-hmm. On a, there was a telecourse. This is back when they had telecourses, not online. What is online. that? What is that? You watch TV. Oh. No, you watch TV programs, mm-hmm. and then you do um, you do your homework and turn it in that way. So oh, this particular this was marine biology, and it was actually awesome. Okay, um, I loved it. I didn't even know that I liked marine biology before I took mm-hmm. this course, and so. Um, I didn't show up for the introductory class mm-hmm. and the professor said, if you don't come to the introductory class, yep. then you just, you you need to withdraw because you're going to fail. You, mm-hmm. you will fail. I will fail you. And I went and I begged her, please, please <laughs> don't do that to me. I have to take yeah. this. And I can't remember why I missed it. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't realize the time mm-hmm. and I couldn't find the, I actually, I couldn't find the room. Mm-hmm. It was on the Clark college campus. Oh Yeah. And it was like 1991, so it was a long time ago. But um, she she did let me. I think she mm-hmm. hated me. But we only had a midterm and a final, and I aced the class. Yeah. So And it was a great class. We right. watched Race to Save the Planet um, videos mm-hmm. for marine biology. Hmm. And it was, it was awesome. What a te- did you call it? Weird. A, a telecourse. A telecourse. That's awesome. Anyway, so you're saying you have okay, I these the, events. Yeah, so this is through Indivisible Greater Vancouver. Yeah. And actually, we were on KATU News last week because oh, of it. We did okay. we did two of them in a row. So I it's saw voter on education. Facebook you guys were doing some events. Yeah. But anytime you have events, I don't see why we can't share. If it's to awesome. register voters... Yes, and it's for, it's for voter education. And education. Yeah, yeah. yeah two, there's two parts. Well, first of all, before uh, if I guess you aren't going to put this out before three o'clock tomorrow. Three o'clock tomorrow. No. Nope. If anybody just like, what is tomorrow? Man, is tomorrow's Thursday. Tomorrow's Thursday. Oh, it'll yeah, be out it'll tomorrow. Be out. So, then. Okay, so if you're listening to say <laughs> what you like, mean, uh, it better. Be. There's free pizza. This is the important thing. There's free, yes, pizza, free pizza and cookies. Um, and fun people, um, and mm-hmm. we will be doing a. Where is there's it? a it's at the Bridge Bridgeview uh, Resource Center, okay. which is in the Heights. It's in the public housing area in the I Heights. Have no the brand idea new where building. Any of that is. It's 505 Omaha Way. But we'll have a presentation by a guy named Joe Moldonado mm-hmm. who um, sh- did this really great presentation for us at Indivisible, mm-hmm. where he showed how elections are won or lost by sometimes. A handful of votes. Mm, mm-hmm. So um, he kind of starts out and shows this election, this election, 100,000 voters. Mm-hmm. This one's won or lost by 1,000 votes. He gets down to um, an election that was lost that by seven cool. votes. and then Seven? Seven. Whoa. This is why voting matters because Whoa. on the local level, these yeah. are the people who make decisions for what you do every single day. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I'll do a little a little spiel on how do you decide who to vote for? Mm-hmm. How do you do your research? What questions should you ask? Right. Um, in order to decide. So um, so we'll do that and we'll have discussion. And uh, we did it last week. We didn't have as many people there as we would mm-hmm. like, but it was really fun. Tomorrow night we'll actually be filling out ballots. We do not tell okay. people who to vote. Right. For. That's right. really it's really important. Um, right. I'm not going to do that at all. OK. Um, it's important that people make up their own minds so that right. they can actually align their vote with their own values. Mm-hmm. But they need to know how do you determine 
who that is without having to spend, you know, go to every single thing. Like ideally you would go meet candidates. You met a candidate recently. It gives you an idea about how important that is to actually meet people in person. That's interesting. So, but they all have websites. Mm -hmm. Check out, and I'm just going to give the voting spiel, right? Check out their website. Start Mm -hmm. with that. Um, Identify groups that actually, uh, that use support. So for example, I always check to see who the League of Women Voters supports. Mm -hmm. That's something that I do. If there are, you know, if you're a Sierra Club member, they may have Mm -hmm. endorsements. So if you're associated with groups, you can check that. Find out what their positions are. And if they're an incumbent, please, please check their voting record. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see how they've actually voted on Mm -hmm. things. And that makes a huge difference. So don't just go with name recognition. Find out a little bit about them. And then social media is really an easy way to find people these Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, um, that sounds important. Jake and I have been really talking a lot lately about how people are being told what to do. As far as voting, and we've been pushing a lot lately, like do your own inform- like research, find your own right. information, because don't listen to the news or the big media to tell you who to vote for or who to look into or why this person's good or bad. So that sounds cool. Well, and always, always, I mean, you can listen, you can listen to these things, right? But don't vote based on that. Mm-hmm. Check out mm-hmm. what they say, mm-hmm. uh, because it's yeah. important if you, I was just talking with my mother about a story about Amy Klobuchar, and I'm like, I need to check that story out before I can just believe right. yeah. that this story about her doing some nasty thing is true, because mm-hmm. I, I listened to an interview with her, and that, and she seemed pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, anyway. So that's that's what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and um, that's a couple of the things awesome. I'm doing. And then I'm taking care of my mom, who just had hip replacement <laughs> surgery. So and her husband, who has multiple sclerosis and Jeez. fell down and hurt his ribs. So um, I'm supposed to be going home today, but I'm not sure if I'll oh, be able. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. have to come back and check on them tonight. So gosh, yeah, busy, busy. That's oh, good well. though. Yeah, that's. Um, so for the interviews, is that just? going to end up just for the panel or is there going to be oh yeah yeah an yeah. exhibit so, or so it's um there should be a panel in mm-hmm. the exhibit and i actually have to talk to brad because mm-hmm. now i'm becoming proprietary and i'm right. like i want to write that panel yeah i don't want to just hand it all over <laughs> <For sure. laughs> so I, I suspect brad will say please write the panel mm-hmm. um so it'll end up in there but also next fall i'm doing one of those one credit public history courses oh okay and so our radio program didn't turn out so great last time mostly mm-hmm. because I haven't had time to work on what the students did mm-hmm. so they were supposed to do a Clark County Stories radio program mm-hmm. and um, I don't want to disparage my mm-hmm. former students some of them worked really hard mm-hmm. um, others did not take the time that they needed to mm-hmm. to determine which stories actually meant something versus just cutting some audio and oh. so yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, I turned it in yeah. yeah, at the very last minute. And mm-hmm. then it was interesting because they, you know, they'd say, well, we didn't have time. Well, that's because they didn't do what they were supposed to right. all the way from winter break right. through the rest of the time. So right. anyway, in the fall, I'm doing a six week course that is focused on um, creating a radio program. So it's going to be for KXRW. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, so it'll be about women in politics Mm -hmm. and we will be using that audio and we will hit the ground running because I think those classes, they're like one credits and they're like one credit and they're like three hours long Mm. and, uh, it's going to be a very hands on class at WSU Vancouver. One class? One credit. Okay. But it's six weeks, one credit, but I'm coming into it this time saying, here's what you will use. Right. right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, let them sort of free flow, try to figure it out. Use audio from previous classes? 
for your last course. They used audio from the oral histories that we collected yeah. for I am Clark County yeah. and um, and from the Clark County stories, but they didn't listen only there's like one or two <laughs> students who actually listened yeah. to the interviews like they were supposed right. to and I've, I know a couple of them mm -hmm. still and mm -hmm. so I, I know that those particular students mm -hmm. who did listen to interviews right. had trouble because other people weren't doing what they were supposed yeah. to so I I'll have a very clear process yeah, yeah. with more specific like assignments mm -hmm. and guidelines mm -hmm. so um, so we should come up with That'll a radio cool. program that, and, and I've talked to, I've told the narrators about it, that we'll be doing that. So, oh, and okay. I've been yeah, doing, yeah, I've been yeah. collecting some research too. So I'm creating a timeline on mm -hmm. women in politics in Clark County. Mm -hmm. So we'll have that research material yeah. to work with. Um, so it's, you know, I had not done this before, right? so I don't completely blame the students. Um, right, I blame right. myself for not having harder deadlines and more specific right. instructions. Sometimes you have to do that. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, sometimes you have students who just take it and run with it. Yeah. And then other times they really need very clear direction. And that that class, you guys did a great job, mm -hmm. Jeff. I know we did. So Yeah, you did. <laughs> no, you guys, I mean, when I think about everything that you did mm -hmm. um, in terms of the workload, right. um, there was a lot. I also spent the entire month after you guys were done mm -hmm. revising it all yeah. and getting it ready for the exhibit. So, Hey, we did stuff after class too. Oh yeah. After that class ended, we were uh, there was a few of us who like did extra. Yeah. But that's the thing I was thinking about when you're talking about that whole time is like as a student, if you don't care about what you're doing, then there's you're not going to get the best. I think ev most people who were in my class who took that public history class were really into what we were doing. And right. that's why we wanted to do extra and stay and continue to do the project afterwards. Um and that's, I think it's because you did ugh. the interviews. So that's oh, the difference. that's a good point. You have, the, and I've, I've always found that with that's these kinds point. of classes, when, when you connect with a person you're interviewing, mm -hmm. you feel an obligation and a responsibility yes. to nurture their story, that's right? To point. do something with it. And so the students that I had this time didn't, they didn't have that. Right. And so it would have been up to me to create a better structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I didn't know what I was doing either. Right. So so that's why I'm, I don't feel resentful right, toward right, them. Right, right. Um, I would like to do something with what they did. And they did do some good ad spots that I need to get to KXRW. Mm. So that's, that would, that's a good contribution in itself. Right. Hmm. And there were some good students in there. Yeah. So yeah. I don't like to disparage my students. I know everybody's <laughs> dealing with, with things. Uh, yeah. So much Not crap. that there aren't students who just have disparaged me. But oh, whatever. yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, time. yeah, for sure. I've there heard it a some, million times. There, there <laughs> were some classes I was just like, nope, I don't care. I'm just going to. It's anthropology. I hate that freaking No, discipline. you do not hate the discipline. I hate you it didn't so like bad. the teacher. I didn't like the teachers, <laughs> uh, plural. Everyone I had Wrong was. Wrong anthropology class. Have you uh, read ethnographies? Have you ever read an ethnography? Probably not. Okay. You've given me this talk a million times. I'm sorry <laughs> to do it on air. Poor Jake. He's sitting over there like. Yeah, I'm a political scientist, and I have homework to do, and they're yeah. just going on and on. No, I anthrop anthropology is I. You feel the same way. I don't. I know. I, just I, say no, it. No, there's no. There's definitely a place for it. Um, I think some disciplines can get so far into the weeds, like look, worrying about structure, they forget yeah. about the the goings on between individuals and right. groups and how, um. You know, you know, the importance of culture and socialization versus just mm. um, structural causes of 
on behavior. So, right. no. so that's because there's no cultural anthropology being taught there, which I took at mm. WSU, which is why I love anthropology. It was my minor, and it was because I took cultural anthropology. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we looked at structural stuff, but yeah. we looked at, at like human relationships within that and human behavior and uh, human culture, and it was really awesome. I, um, I took with, um, with Dr. Hugh, uh, Hewlett, um, not, uh, Barry Hewlett, because I know his wife also mm-hmm. teaches there as well. Um, what was that? Like environmental. Is that the one you took that you didn't need to take? No, this was an oh. on, this was an online course with with um with with uh Barry Hewlett. Mm-hmm. It, it it was like environmental. It was something environmental anthropology, but it it really had a um strong ethnog like had a lot of ethnographies mm-hmm. within the within the the curriculum. Which that was a really good course. Mm-hmm. It was much better than the intro introductory introductory course to anthropology that I took, which was wait. Did you take that with the same professor I took it with? Yeah. Yeah. The entire like different course though. Yeah. No, the intro. Oh, the, okay, intro the intro he's talking about. We took from the same professor. Right. It was. But it Jeff, you would love ethnography. You would love ethnography. It's all about stories. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe. No, definitely. <laughs> I, I dare you to take an ethnography <laughs> no, class and not come back to me and tell me how much you love it. Did you read that book about the Yanomamo? Yes. Okay, that was actually really pretty fascinating. Okay. Yeah, there, the Yanomamo are awesome. There were some subjects in that introductory class that were great, but the way that you were taught in that class was terrible. If you take the initiative to be self-taught and read those books, mm-hmm. it was cool. When you actually go went and did the homework that you're supposed to do, yeah, like we had to pick a um a a, a people to compare, mm-hmm. that was fun because you're actually doing your own learning, and I didn't mind that. But when she was teaching us, air quotes, teaching it us, it was super dry. Oh my gosh, it was the well, worst. Well, well, she, I mean, it part of her her background is in um like evo like evolution, yeah. So about about mon- like monkeys and stuff like yeah. that and so i had a re- <laughs> had a really hard time like um oh the monkey segment of that yeah, class dude. she was so into it well that's i mean that's her background <laughs> right that's what she's passionate about and that's how that's how it came across in the course yeah, everything else sure. she she taught because she had to and then when yes. she got she got to what she cared about she taught that to its like full capacity because you know that's what she's passionate about but that so. makes for as a student that gives the same effect to the students like oh i don't care about anything you're saying oh you care about this okay i guess i should care about this now you know what i mean sure but you have to care about all of it because if you don't you won't get an a yeah one of the things i loved about like studying like the yanomamo is um how the 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 different tribes they were so like they were so like each tribe was like so insulated from each mm-hmm. other like they were because they're all always like warring between each other and again how that affected like um family structures and um uh, like marriage rituals between mm-hmm. be, um, between the groups, right, and right, like that. It was I, I love that. That was fascinating. You know but. what I'm such a weird nerd about is they're like farming, or, or the way that they farm, but also like just like the 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 bush burning and just the methods that they had learned and and have done for I don't know centuries, I guess. Yeah. Traditional yeah. indigenous technology. Yeah, it's so I'm so interested in that. I don't know why. Well, then because it's cool. It's actually it anthropology. Cool. It's I super guess. cool. Like Fountain told us about like the what is it? The three sisters, the mm-hmm. squash, green bean, and corn. I think in the way that the the nutrients that they put back into the ground feeds the other plants, and it's just like this perfect, just way of farming. 
Yeah. I'm Nitro- such a weird nitrogen nerd about fixing that. vegetables. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I don't know why yeah, I and, care about that, but when I read that stuff, I'm like, oh, what's Well, and that? how their environment and their practices like reinforce is reinforced by their cosmology that's been mm-hmm. like developed over centuries. Yeah. And yeah, it's that honestly it, it is it that is what I think anthropology is. Right. And at that at that level, it's a really good discipline. Yeah. Yeah, the intersection between material culture mm-hmm. and ideology is what really mm. like it's the relationship between um like the individual and structure mm-hmm. that i find really fascinating okay. and that came that fascination came out of anthropology for me um and i've actually carried it into policy studies mm-hmm. so hmm. um you know how does how does that sort of macro structure impact you on the micro level right i, th- I think that a lot of the neoliberal political scientists that have been writing Western policy for such, such a long time forgot about. I think part of, part of the reason why tr- Trump was so popular mm-hmm. is because I think there's a lot of there was a lot of feelings amongst the population that they were more concerned with, like these elite, like well, like really far fetched, um, you know, neoliberal free trade kind of stuff without mm-hmm. with and then forgetting about you know, the people I get uh, you're saying. Yeah. Uh, that was a really terrible way to say that. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> you know that tired. Stop it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, you didn't go to Backstreet Boys last night. Yeah, no, I don't want to hear it. You were not Backstreet Boys. No. With a twelve-year-old. No, it was, it was awesome. probably very excited. Yeah, that's soaked. a good energy to have, yeah. right? I was, I was, was reading. Cool. A, um, have you heard, uh, Donna? Have you heard about the uh, the NGO uh, BRAC, BRAC building resources across communities? It's out of Bangladesh. It's out of Bangladesh. I have to write a policy memo from a perspe- <laughs> from the perspective of this NGO. But it's pretty fascinating in their work with um, uh, seventy. Per- they employ a hundred thousand people, um, and seventy percent of whom are women. And it's they originated trying to build um, uh, at the community level, trying to build um, education resources and uh, non formal uh, ec- non formal economy uh, education for. Um, to help sell local goods at, at local markets. And then it's expanded to cover stuff such as uh, trafficking, uh, human uh, trying to uh, limit human trafficking in Southeast Asia. It's a really, f- it's a pretty fascinating uh, NGO that I'm. What's NGO? Non-governmental organization. Okay. Have you heard of the Grameen Bank? Mm-mm. So the Grameen Bank, actually, it was, it, um, I remember learning this in anthropology, actually human issues and international development, which was an anthropology class when I took it. Okay, okay. that at sounds WSU cool. It was super cool. <laughs> and actually, a lot of times, Jake, when you're talking about this stuff that you're learning now, it mm-hmm. reminds me of that. And I ended up being a grader for that class. But the okay. Grameen mm-hmm. Bank actually provided micro loans of it would be like 100 or $200. Okay. And um, in places like Bangladesh to women who would buy do something like buy a sewing machine. And then they could actually make things and sell them mm. um so it would provide funding to get especially for women because um when women are and i'm going to use the marxist term are close to the means of production um it gives them more autonomy mm. and completely changes how they can operate in the world so it sounds like this is kind of a growth and it was interesting because it was in bangladesh which is yeah. where women are in the worst shape in the mm-hmm. world their their status yes yeah um yeah brack um they're the largest non-governmental um, investor in infrastructure, and but they they've def- they focused more on the on the community level uh, for disadvantaged uh, disadvantaged workers, trying to uh, pair them. One of their biggest um, their biggest focuses right now is trying to develop 
a um, uh, trying to develop an apprenticeship program where they lo- they find local they find local business owners and they pair uh, women or people with disabilities with uh, with these business owners and they teach them how to be entrepreneurs and how to how to build businesses at the local at the local level so they can you know create their own sh- you know create their own shops and and then they give them small loans to get you know the get those 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 um, those businesses off the ground so they're they're from what I've been reading they've been doing you know fantastic work um, and and they've they've spread out of Southeast Asia they're in they're in Haiti now. That's their only Western Hemisphere presence. But then they're all, they're also pretty heavily in Africa at the at the at the moment too. So, hmm. so what's your policy? Do you have to take a position, or are you just doing um, something descriptive? I have to with this particular assignment. I have to um, find. I have to write a policy memo on um, how the organization can inf- increase its efficacy, and so I'm. Uh, right now they're um, they they need help. right now where the hardest thing for BRAC is to try to do is with their with their field especially because a lot of a lot of their information is off of um, interviews with lo- of local populations from their field agents and trying to quantify that is incredibly difficult so they're tr- um, so I'm trying to find uh, a way to suggest my my recommendation would be to um, go away from old Excel um, ways of categorizing that information and, and looking at new um, new avenues to to upload and analyze that analyze that data to help um, better with better efficiency when they're trying to identify what are the, you know, what are the trends locally so they can so do actually better. using more qualitative mm-hmm. data yeah mm. yeah that's another that's crazy. thing that's another thing when it comes to human like he, studying humans mm-hmm. right he, the humanities recognizes qualitative data the social sciences like in sociology um, they tend to rely not completely but on quantitative data mm-hmm. and we're you're studying humans and human beings are complex so mm-hmm. quantitative data is important but um, are important, excuse me, quantitative <laughs> data are important, um, but they don't always describe actual human behavior. Mm-hmm. And so qualitative, I'm a qualitative um, data person. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you may have guessed that, but yes. I mean, I, be- I, I love quantitative mm-hmm, data. Mm-hmm. I really do. But you can't describe everything with statistics because the macro level isn't everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And especially in situations like this with community development, mm-hmm. um, because local circumstances make, I'm tapping the table. Jeff just gave me a glare. <laughs> no, um, no, local, I'm not <laughs> local, you know, local circumstances can have one factor that changes everything. So, <laughs> and that's Tucker. Tucker and his llama. He has like a, he has, that's his favorite type of toy is llamas. Hey, Tucker. So oh, I had to say that into the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> no worries. Um, crap! I was gonna say something. I forgot what it was. I don't remember. But yeah, I, it's it. Um, definitely, I think pol- political science could use with a kind of interdisciplinary approach going forward, and yeah, stop trying to quantify everything. Yeah, and that sounds like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> tough. I mean, they're. <laughs> So they've kind of done some of my work for me. Yeah. They're working with a new type of database where they can, um, and they're trying to. They're starting to switch to more sur- uh, s- surveys. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, in their field research, so that can help um, quantify. And they they found like they're trying to find like a democratic demographic sweet spot to pair 
their disadvantaged workers with. And it's, you know, they, they found that people who have worked in the industry for like seven to eight years, um, have the necessary qualifications to provide um, efficient and effective training for the people that they pair them with. Mm -hmm. And then um, usually uh, of a certain age group, they're going to be more um, understanding of the, of the limitations of the people that they're training and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a, um, it's a really good, it's a super good organization. Um, One of the, in one of the other policy, one of the other policy recommendations is I'm going to make is that if they can get this off the ground, this more efficient tracking, because they're having a really difficult time with Bangladesh has the highest amount of um, workers leaving its, country mm-hmm. and going elsewhere but mm-hmm. there's such a major problem they had over 400,000 uh reported cases of uh of sex trafficking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. coming out uh, of Bangladesh workers who have left the country to you know being told they're they're going to go work over here but then they end up getting shipped off to somewhere else Jeez. there was like this horrible um uh case that I just a case study that I just read of this woman who was being told she was going to go to Yemen mm-hmm. not not Yemen definitely not Yemen somewhere in the Middle East but then mm-hmm. ended up getting shipped off to like ISIS in Syria oh my and God. she ended up finding her way out but they're BRAC is trying they're they're trying to come up with ways to better track the people that are le- leaving Bangladesh right. so they don't find themselves in these situations and then keeping in communication with these people as they as they venture out right. of the country right. so giving them resources to be able to reach out when they need to. Hmm. So good seems to be doing this. I had no idea about this NGO. And then right. the last like week, I've just been completely immersed. <laughs> in I know it, everything so. about this NGO. <laughs> I don't know everything, but it's, it's definitely, <laughs> right. uh, they're doing, they're doing great work and much needed work. Right. So Ooh. there's a journal, um, that you probably wouldn't look at very often, but could be helpful if you're looking at how you analyze qualitative data and that is called, it's called the Journal of Qualitative Inquiry. Okay. And so it's just something that is, you might consider looking at. Most mm-hmm. political scientists wouldn't. That was, <laughs> that was Tucker. <laughs> he knows, he's like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to play with my llama right now. <laughs> so what is this journal showing? Like how to Oh, there's a lot. It, it? Sometimes it has, it has case studies, mm-hmm. um, analysis techniques. It, it actually has arguments that support using qualitative data oh. versus quantitative mm-hmm. for certain kinds of things. So, okay. so if you're writing a paper, What's it called? it's called the journal of qualitative inquiry. Oh, so there's a whole, there's a <laughs> whole, um, group of people, um, in different disciplines who do qualitative work. So right. nursing, for example, right. is a place where you have to integrate qualitative and quantitative data. Mm. Um, and they do a lot of uh, action research, education. Right. So right. there's a lot of education. Um, but political science, actually, that's one of the reasons I didn't like political science, Jake, is that I took a course and it was it was a okay. Now we're gonna I'm gonna out myself again. It wasn't a telecourse. <laughs> it was a long distance course, which means that I didn't have anything online. Uh-huh. I had to get the books read the assignments, write papers, and send them to Pullman. Yeah, it sounds pretty awful, Ooh. huh? That sounds terrible. So that was a, a long-distance course, yeah. and it was in Marxist political thought. And Oof. so, which of all things to take without <laughs> other people to talk with. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It really, that sounds it, a tr- it, Well, it was actually <laughs> fascinating. So the, the it was fascinating because um, I guess the two things that I remember from that, and this is a long time ago, mm-hmm. like not before you were born, but close to before you were born, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but 
uh, was reading the historical and philosophical manuscripts of 1844 by Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then actually reading the Communist Manifesto. Mm -hmm. Not just what everybody said about the Communist Manifesto, but reading it. And That's why I bought it. I haven't read it yet, but that's why I bought it is because I'm always, even in my undergrad, everyone was like, this is what it says. I'm like, I'm going to find out for myself what it says. But yeah, it's just interesting you said that. Well, and and the the philosophical underpinnings of of Marxism are really fascinating, mm-hmm. really fascinating. I think you would really enjoy um, the philosophical and historical manuscripts of 1844 because it really talks about the um, kind of the origins of Marx's ideas, which have to do with kind of an optimistic belief in humanity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which hasn't played out very well as we right. know. Hmm. Yeah, no. Um, but uh, his theory on his theory on history is interesting, um, and, and how it's always been, you know, it's been the, it, the the workers and the owners of the means of production, and how that's that's changed over time. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, there's it, it's hard to like really nitpick a guy for writing in eighteen like in the eighteen forties, mm-hmm. especially with the realities of of industrial England. But uh, some of the stuff, like some of the things he's he's pointed out, like. He wasn't wrong on you know, worrying about the vertical integration of 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 markets. I mean, we're seeing that in, t- in today's mm-hmm. world with with these multi multinational corporations like Amazon, who have pretty much con- made themselves a self contained, mm-hmm. almost like a quasi state right. in their ability, especially in their ability to um, uh, influence poli- influence policy. Mm-hmm. Which is worrisome. That's one thing I'm studying right now is how um, private versus the the private sphere versus the public sphere, and how as the private sphere becomes more multinational, the state has less control on the actions and behavior of of corporations, mm-hmm. and how that af- how that affects you know macro level policy, especially with trade. Of as if that if the if the private sphere and the public sphere has a um, disagreement on what policy should be you know who has who actually has the power in that situation Ooh. so it, it's it's a it's an interesting area to mm-hmm. look at especially in the modern context with these you know major major na- mm-hmm. major multinational na- organizations mm-hmm. and companies hmm. which kind of replicate the 19th century mm-hmm. yeah with the railroads oh yeah yeah the the uh, british east and india company that mm-hmm. was a um a private 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 corporation private you know private company but was um chartered by the you know chartered by the the government they pretty much had a monopoly on all on all things trade Mm -hmm. so yeah interesting i don't know about any of that well so (laughs) so can i ask a question i was thinking i was thinking about this today i was thinking well i wanted to ask the two of you since the debates were on last night Mm -hmm. did either well i know you didn't watch them because you went to backstreet boys how about you jake did you get a chance i wasn't able to catch them i I watched some of the highlights Mm -hmm. i watched last i watched last month's debates but i didn't watch that okay so the question i was going to ask wasn't to quiz you on the Mm -hmm. debates but to ask you um what two issues are most important to you in the 2020 election and I, I know at least one of your answers, Jake, <laughs> and probably one of yours, <laughs> maybe Jeff. I don't know. I don't know. So I'm curious. So what are the what are the things that That's are most important question. to you? I haven't even thought about it. What do you think mine is? <laughs> well, what do you, I think you? Well, I'm not sure what yours is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think immigration is probably pretty important to you. Yeah, I would think. Um, 
but yeah. and I think foreign policy is probably Jake's number mm-hmm. one answer. So that's why I thought of yeah. two. I was going to ask mm-hmm. what's your most important <laughs> issue, and I was like, well, I already know Jake's. Yeah. So foreign foreign policy, especially as it relates to our our relationship with with allies, mm-hmm. and um, and then how how they how they've not necessarily how they would go about. I mean, I guess it's them saying how they would go about. Um, Go go about trying to combat China, and then in, in that self, mm. in it in in that statement itself, it kind of shows my own bias because I do right. think China is, is an deal aggra- with China is, is an is an aggressor state. Right. But um, anyway, uh, how they I, th- I would love to see a debate on how they would um, how they view how they view China because I think how we go forward has a lot to do with how you interpret a bunch of unknown variables. So I I don't know I Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have both wrote. Um, a, uh, pieces for foreign policy magazine that were pretty illuminating. Um, and I don't necessarily really agree with their direction, but it's far better than what we are currently dealing mm-hmm. with. So I honestly think that my most important issue is shifting towards new technology and development of clean energy, I think is probably my biggest, um, Jake and I have talked about before any nation that's on the forefront of that developing um, me. Well, how would you even say that? Well, cause there's always been, there's been evolutions and in, in, in inputs to inputs, the energy. Yes. There in, you go. And the, um, in whoever's been at the forefront of that revolution, right. who's ever been at the tech, who's ever had the technological ability to, you know, be at the forefront of that mm-hmm. revolution has, you know, been the dominant world power right. coming out of it. So. And I'm not saying that because I want us to remain a dominant world power or anything, but I think that there, it's just weird that we're constantly going backwards. And every time there's a progression or an idea that might lead us to somewhere better, everyone it just reverts back to this, this dirty industry of coal and oil and it's just it's weird to me um i do think immigration is important and i think that the way that we're handling anyone coming across the border is disgusting but if we have no planet we have no immigration (laughs) so i don't know i think that's probably i don't know if that's a little hippie of me but i think that there's so many people who are i'm just obsessed with elon musk a little bit but the developments he's making as far as like electricity and 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 using machines that run off that electricity it's insane but nobody i mean you're seeing more and more people buy these cars which the cars are incredible i'm obsessed with those cars but if we can shift a lot of what we do to that kind of energy i just think it would be better overall and there has to be something done quickly or we're all screwed um and i said this the other day and i felt cheesy but there is no planet b (laughs) I love that term, um, but I mean, I read the other day that there's um, mosquitoes who are giving like a, a new disease that is like swelling the brain, and the article was saying that the the warmer the climate gets, the more prevalent mosquitoes are, and more prevalent these diseases are, and I don't, it's weird to me that this isn't more of a concern, more of trying to find a solution for this stuff. I, I get... I, I just, I'm annoyed by all the talking points of free education and free healthcare. While I think that those are can be important in some issues, again, if there's nowhere to live, healthcare doesn't matter. So I don't know. I think that's probably my biggest. 
I don't think it's hippie to <laughs> at all to, to be aware right. of climate change and Maybe the dangers my, associated yeah. with it. So if you're listening to a bunch of people who right. say that's hippie shit, yeah. they're wrong. <laughs> well, I think it's just the caveat of like, Jake, you know what I'm talking about. Like anyone, anytime Jake's like, uh, I'm a Republican, but I, I don't support Trump. Like you just have to throw that in mm-hmm. there. And it's like, because there's, it, there's just a stigma of like caring about the planet now. Because that's stupid. It is stupid, but I'm just saying that that's maybe why I say that. Just and I say this as an environmental historian, right. right, who understands climate change over centuries right. and right. centuries. Right. So that's probably my biggest. One thing I wanted to quibble with something you said, though, is Uh-oh. like you didn't you don't want the United States. You're not saying you necessarily want yeah, the United yeah, States yeah. to maintain, be maintained. It's as not a saying I don't superpower. want them or I do want them. That's not the that's reason, not the reason why. why. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But one could argue that Jake will argue. (laughs) Jake will argue. Jake will argue. Jake will argue that. No, I I don't even know if this is my personal opinion. This is why I said there there is an argument out there with which hegemonic stability theory, and that is when you have a single world superpower at the international stage, which you have all these autonomous, Mm -hmm. all these all all these autonomous states, and it's really really difficult to get them to do anything. Right. When you have a sole, I know where you're going. You have a sole world power, (laughs) like the United States. Who in its who has a policy that um, would be to enhance um, environmental policy, right, right? And they can try to overcome some of that coordination issues. Right. So if we were to if we were to get elected politicians domestically right. who who uphold climate po- climate right. policy as a core you know foundational mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. I think that that would go a long way in if the United States maintain its yes. hegemonic status, go, may, go do a lot to um, to push those principles right. outward and help. And, you know, I don't know if it's carrot in the stick argument. Right. For try sure. To try to try to, to try to get other nations, say China, yeah. on board with that policy. Yeah. I knew that's where you were going with oh, that. Did you? But okay. but but if we argue and if we say that in the argue, sake of argument that being on the forefront of that development causes you to remain that superpower. Doesn't that automatically make you the influencer? Yeah. So, well, and if you're, if you're a democratic state, supposedly, Mm -hmm. um, then that is, is something that, um, the idea is that we model that. Right. Right. That that's part of that. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't want an autocratic state necessarily to be at the forefront of climate industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. For, yeah. for partly for that reason, because mm-hmm. if, if it's an autocratic state, if it's China, for example, mm-hmm. then of course they want to sell everything. So mm-hmm. <laughs> these days, so maybe that's not such a problem anymore, mm-hmm. but, um, but with, with things like intellectual, um, knowledge Mm -hmm. that's something that you would want to share right Mm -hmm. for a world economy not just Mm -hmm. for a world economy but but for climate change Mm -hmm. right to prevent massive climate change climate change um so i'll just say the two issues that are important to me and i'm going to say two you guys both said one Mm -hmm. so i want to hear what your second is but um but uh (laughs) is i mean climate for me climate undergirds everything Mm -hmm. and it includes immigration right right Mm -hmm. climate climate change is very connected to 
the immigration issues and, and we could talk about that separately. Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. me, healthcare is really important. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you why I don't have a full-time job that allows right. me, I have more than full-time jobs, by the way, I work a lot. Mm-hmm. So if anybody out there is saying, yeah, see those liberals, <laughs> they, they don't work. Right. Um, I work a lot. Yeah. I work all the time, but I, as an adjunct, I don't right. typically have access to a healthcare plan. Um, as someone who's over age 50, mm-hmm. the cost of my health care has skyrocketed, oh, not geez. just because of ACA, but mm-hmm. because there is no good plan for someone my age mm-hmm. that doesn't cost $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So I That's pay insane. $523 a month for a health care plan that has a $3,700 deductible, mm-hmm. right, before paying 30%. Right. So... Uh, I want a public option and I'm just going to sure. say that there's a lot of people who are saying Medicare for all. I want a public option now. Mm. I don't want to wait while it's while Medicare for all is being completely implemented. Right. I do believe that everyone should have access to health care. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Ideally, we would cover everyone. It right. would actually make us a healthier society. But anyway, so mm-hmm. healthcare is mm-hmm. is is at the top for me. But I mean, climate climate issues undergird everything, mm-hmm. and it's funny because I did environmental history, and I started out, and I think I told you kind of how I came to an awareness of the environment, Jane. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like a lot of people have got that at this point. I have to. I what and mean? what I mean by that is there's a lot of organizations focused on dealing with climate issues. Oh, okay. While there are children locked up in cages. Right. Right. So, right. For sure. Um, and I and I want a public option. So mm-hmm. I know I disagree with some of my fellow Democrats about right, that. And this right. is where there's a divide in the party, right, between mm-hmm. Medicare for all right now. And frankly, I wish Elizabeth Warren would ease into that differently with the public option um, because she and Bernie Sanders are adamantly Medicare for all mm-hmm. immediately. And not that I don't want it because I do. Right. <laughs> it's not that I don't want it. I just don't think that that's a practical way to do it. And mm-hmm. people will argue that it is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's pragmatism. You got to realize that it, there's a um, there's a Congress full of people who are who are on the other ideological side of that debate and trying to get something passed versus getting nothing passed right. is um, is imp- is important. That's sad. and education is connected, by the way, to yeah. climate issues. You're telling me there's there's a stigma attached with understanding mm-hmm. that yes. uh, we're in a period of rapid climate transition. Yeah, that's a lack of education. Yeah, so for sure. So yeah, free college would be good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just want my debt forgiven. <laughs> I want your debt forgiven yeah. too, and I've paid off all my loans. Yeah. So I'm not one of those people who yeah. says, "Well, God no, damn I it, I paid off my loans yeah. and I worked hard that's for years what you to see do all that." The time. And, you know, that's again, that's that's um, well, I like to pay it forward, right, <laughs> in right. a positive way. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have a second one? Yeah, you guys. What else is important to you that, that I, I is, will say that can be affected at a at a uh, macro policy level? Well, I know that Jake and I have talked about healthcare, specifically women's healthcare, just because it's very personal to me. It's disgusting how the the lack of options for for specifically my wife and now having to go out of network to get the care she needs. From a specialist. Like, that's insane. And the insurance is just like, no, we're not going to cover it because we do a quicker, dirtier version of what you need done. It's just, that's frustrating to me. I don't know if these healthcare proposals will solve that issue, but I'm just saying overall, the, the lack of, and just being in these forums with these women and hearing their stories, it's 
it's insane how common it is and nobody knows about it. Nobody talks about it. But you have these groups of women who are constantly talking about their struggles and constantly being in pain and constantly just being fed pills or just these quick fix solutions that aren't actually addressing the problem. Um, and again, I don't know if that's the po- solution of these policy proposals, but it is an issue that drives me insane because it's personal and I see a woman every day in pain who has no other option and it's, it's stupid, but sorry. That's no, well, I mean, re- reproductive health care <laughs> yes. is part of health care. Yeah. And yeah. this is part of the reason I would not vote for a Republican at mm-hmm. the congressional or presidential level mm-hmm. because they vote against the best interests of women mm-hmm. all the time, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think that I had a conversation with a guy at work about this, but it's it's and Jake and I always talk about having conversations with people. And I think that when you don't have conversations or maybe you're looking at um, if you're just looking at the data and not realizing that there's humans and people behind those data and human scenarios and human situations. Um, but he was talking about um, just horrific scenarios that may lead to pregnancy. And he's like, maybe they should abort that baby. Would you adopt that baby? I'm like, listen, dude, I've been trying to have a baby for three years. That baby could use love. I might adopt that baby. And he's like, oh, shit, I never thought about that. And it's like, so there's so many pieces to very complex issues but if you talk to people and you get real stories it helps inform those decisions i think right right so So you can imagine someone being forced to carry a child because somebody else believes that adoption is the answer right 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 right. because there are a lot of babies who need love i hope you get a baby very very soon because i want (laughs) to try i want to see your baby (laughs) (laughs) i want you to i want you to get that baby because you guys will be great parents and uh they're that's really important right um, but I can't even imagine. I mean, I've been pregnant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been pregnant three times, actually yeah. four, because I had a miscarriage, <laughs> yeah. which I did not self-induce, by right. the way. Um, so uh, I know what it's like. Right. And I can't even imagine being forced to carry a child mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you are not prepared right. to do that, mm-hmm. even if you're going to give it up for ab- adoption. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, that's a whole year out of your life, and it impacts everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everything. Right. Yeah. There's so many variables. So imagine many. having your body stretched. No, out. God, no! It looks. There was this pregnant woman sitting next to us at Bastry Boys. She looked miserable. She's just like uncomfortable the whole time. I'm like, oh God. So there are benefits of Jen not being able to get pregnant. We talk about that. I'm like, you don't have to be like nine months of misery. She's like, yeah, I know. But I mean, obviously, she has she has feelings about wanting to do it. But that same person I had that conversation with, his wife has very serious medical issues um she's uh got really like extreme diabetes and they were like you can never carry a kid and then she had a what's it called i know the term i don't know the term but when the in implants in the fallopian tube and oh, the, the tubal pregnancy so it's called something else like a like a technical term i can't remember the technical term i know it anyways so then there's like a a, a discussion about terminating the pregnancy because it can kill the mother and then that's a whole nother issue that is is discussed when talking about abortion is like he, you know he's like i had to like consider like is what is this how does this affect me what does this make my views on abortion and I'm, I, my point is is that there's so many scenarios that whether you're for or against whatever you need to consider other people's stories and lives 
Right, yeah. right. Well, a tubal pregnancy will kill the mother. Will. Like, <laughs> right, this is right. not a can. Right. Uh, you cannot grow a baby right. in your fallopian right. tubes. It so, will kill you. Yeah, and now, So you can either decide you're going to die yeah. or you're going right. to have an abortion right. that aborts um, an embryo. Right, right. Right, because yeah. it's not going to even become a fetus. Right. By the, yeah, right. it's an embryo. Right. So that's yeah. your choice. Yes. So, healthcare. <laughs> yeah. So what's your what's your <laughs> what's your uh, number two there, I'm Jay? Caught between, I'm I'm caught between obvious uh, Second Amendment issues and um, antitrust policy. I'm going to go with antitrust policy. Okay. Because Cory Booker in the first um, in the first debate said something that I really really liked, and he's like, "We have a whole." It was it was early in the debate, and then it all devolved into a bunch of just bumper sticker quotes being mm. shouted at each other, but. Uh, one of the one of the few actual like I thought was like a sound policy articulated by a front running candidate was we have a lot of laws on our books to help with inequality in this country mm-hmm. in in the in the growing vertical and we we talked earlier about the the you know the the vertical integration of markets and we have antitrust policies that can help combat that that we're not using and I think that that is a really like it was a really good idea. It's a fantastic idea to use existing law mm-hmm. instead of having to implement all sorts of new bureaucracy and in, in, in a really con- in another another tax overhaul. Mm-hmm. That this would be a good place to start is with antitrust policies and try to um, limit the the scope and scale of these mass of these massive companies and all of these mergers that are happening. And there's a lot of monopolistic practices that are happening that are making capitalism markets not work. Mm-hmm. And in and it's going like the whole trick, like a trickle down, uh, you know, philosophy on markets can't happen when you have five ownerships of the means of production, mm, right? right? So it in these trying to break up these oligopolies, I thought was really like a really really sound policy, and it's I think it's something that free free marketeers on the Republican side should, if they're if they really are that you know if they really do adhere to that phil- to that philosophy, could get on board, and I think it would be something that uh, in in Congress you could get um, bipartisan, hopefully could get bipartisan support for. Mm-hmm. So on the, on like just thinking pragmatically, I think that that was a, I really liked Cory Booker bringing that up. Mm. Um, so that would be my number. That'd be my number two. Do you really think that there would be bipartisan support though? Because part of the major issue, right? Is that these, these corporations are essentially funding these candidates. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I mean, would, I, we know. don't. Why, why isn't hasn't there already been <laughs> um, this sort of bipartisan cooperation? And frankly, I'm. Um, I would be surprised if Mitch McConnell would hear anything like that on the Senate floor. Yeah, the House could do it, but I doubt very much. And I'm. I'm not saying that you're not right because I mm-hmm. think you are. I think you're absolutely right. So we have a real. I don't know. We have a crisis of character right now in Congress, and um, it is appalling to me how few people are willing to stand up for uh, their own supposed principles. Yeah. It's, it's shocking because if, if you're in a position, if you've been a senator or a congressperson and you can't adhere to the foundational principles of this country and speak out when they're being abused, then you shouldn't be in Congress anymore. And, and not only that, there's plenty you can do. What's the problem here? Yeah. Get a different job if it's mm-hmm. that bad. Um, stand up for what's right. I think that the American public would appreciate it. And if the party is telling you to vote in a certain way and you just do it, oh, by the way, I have to tell you something, Jake. What's that? I have to tell you both, but I have to tell you (laughs) a friend of mine, okay, a friend of mine went to the Camus Library 
yesterday mm-hmm. um, because Jamie Herrera Butler was going to be there. Um, did I just read this? You probably did. I posted it on Facebook. Yes, mm-hmm. because this friend of mine, she I was she I was like live Facebooking yeah. on our Women Democrats site. She went there and she asked her why Jamie did not vote on the Safe Act, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The elections uh, l- legislation that would say that you have to report if a foreign government. Um, approaches you during an election Mm -hmm. and many other things, right? Why did she not vote no? Her response was that she didn't remember, but there was something wrong with it. So my announcement... That's on tape of her saying that? No, it's in a library forum. She doesn't do on tape. She won't have a live (laughs) town hall. Okay. So um, I'm sorry you can hear the disdain in my voice because it makes me really <laughs> angry that she won't face her constituents. I, I sat at school board meetings last year pri- pre- prior to the strike and had people come and literally yell at me every two weeks. Yeah, That's my job if I'm a public official. Mm-hmm. And um, that's her job is to actually listen to her constituents. But to say I don't remember why I voted against such an important piece of legislation. Well, especially like a, a really recent piece of legislation. It was last week. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And I mean, it's a really important piece of legislation and has to do with what's going on now. So I just thought you should know that, Jake, because okay. I know you want informed um, representatives who will fight for the public good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean... I, we can disagree about what the public sure. good is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's what I think is how she was told to vote against it. Mm. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to stand up for your principles. And I can tell you, I know how hard it is because I had a situation on the school board mm-hmm. where I had to make a choice about how I was going to face things. And I think I may have told you guys about this, but maybe not. I'm not, I'm not going to go into right, details right. here, but uh, we have five people on our board and we went through, uh, there was something that I disagreed with that mm-hmm. we were going to do. Oh, you may have told me. About I may this. have told you about yeah. this off tape, but, yeah. but I had to decide tape. off tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen and laugh at me. I'm so old. Yeah. Talk about tape and telecourses and long distance learning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's right. really hard to go against the team of people that you work with right. to take a stand. But you have to do that because otherwise, why are you even there? Yeah. Except to collect a check. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, and I, I don't, I say that, I don't mean that right. blithely. People do not go into public service because they don't care. Even Republicans. <laughs> I know that that's, I know that they, that they care. And I, I definitely understand that you just can't do it otherwise Mm -hmm. um but to go along with this culture of no Mm -hmm. without saying uh there's something wrong with what's happening like identifying the dysfunction and i have to so last night whoops i'm not (laughs) we're getting used to the new space yeah Yeah. john hicken john hickenlooper said something that was he said trump is malpractice personified Mm. <laughs> I mm. thought that was a really interesting, interesting last quote. Night? And then he, yeah, last okay. night at the debates. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that that's who I support. I right, just thought right. it was a really interesting thing to say mm-hmm. um, because he was talking about health care, for example, the right. things that he promised. So the wall is the one thing that he's trying to come through with. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. He gave he did do a tax cut. But for who? Right. Um, anyway, it was just it was really an interesting way to frame that. Mm. Malpractice personified. Yeah, it's one of those sound bites. Yeah, right. That isn't probably getting enough air. <laughs> yeah, I mean those bumper sticker quotes become prevalent in these debates, which I wish they would just 
two nights of 10 people on a stage. It's just... You were saying this before we started today. I, I feel like this is... It's a, I have... I mean, this is just my opinion and just looking at... Just You're not allowed to give your opinion on your own podcast. <laughs> just looking... I, mean, I, just wanted, I just wanted to say that the, yeah. I don't have any any factual basis and to which this opinion okay. comes from. Okay. But it seems to me that allowing so many people on this debate stage is a overcorrection for the last election cycle mm-hmm. because there was a there was a major um, belief amongst Bernie Sanders supporters that the that the system was rigged against Bernie and because they had they had so few debates Bernie wasn't able to get on the stage and they basically they shooed Hillary Clinton through the primaries into you know the candidate you know the, in, to, in, into the Democratic nomination for president mm-hmm. and I, I disagree with that because I think it's an oversimplification of the Democratic primary system with right. superdelegates. And like this has been this way since 1972. This is nothing new. Bernie Sanders didn't even announce himself as running as a Democrat until halfway through the primary process. So, of course, superdelegates, which are members of the party, are not going to cast their vote at the at, they're not going to give their vote to somebody who's not even running as a Democrat. Right. So he won. It was his own his own. I don't know. He 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 didn't set himself up to win within the structure of the DNC. Mm-hmm. And the other one is this structure of the DNC. If he didn't right. know the rules of the game, that's his fault. Like yeah. you're you're a candidate. That's just my opinion. And I think trying to overcorrect for that is going to create a situation where a Trump-like figure within the DNC can Trump-like. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say there. I don't think there's anybody on that right. stage that is like is that is Donald Trump, but a populist. That can that that when given a platform, and, and when the conversation gets devolved down to bump the sharing of bumper sticker quotes, you end up getting you end up getting somebody who is light on policy specifics but great at giving stump speeches, mm. and we end up with we end up with Marianne a, a, Williamson. That's, she that's who I was thinking she of. rocked it last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was even and I am not a fan. My <laughs> daughter gave me her book to read uh, several years ago called mm-hmm. What a Woman Wants, and I immediately said. This is a very sexist book about what women want <laughs> uh, from my perspective. So I read about half of it and said, okay, I'm done. But my daughter's a big fan of her. Mm-hmm. So, um, but she was on last night. That's and I, I mean, she had great philosophical things mm-hmm. to say. Um, so it's kind of easy to kind of cheer her on like, yes, right. America has a dark psyche right now and we need to do something about it. Um, but she can't be seen as a serious candidate. And the danger is that she could be because right. she if she were to continue this um even though i was kind of like yeah listen to mm-hmm. her go girl mm-hmm. but uh don't go more than once yeah. <laughs> well i mean i like what you just said how many times did everyone say there's no way trump is going to be taken seriously as a candidate and now he's president of the united states yeah. because they they tap into popular emotional sentiment mm-hmm. and they and when the when the structure of the debates have devolved down to sharing of simple like oversimplifications of complex of of complex issues it allows for populists yeah to to stand out in in those environments and that's right. how trump was able to hijack the rnc mm-hmm. he's able to do that because there wasn't any specific policy debates that would have exposed him as a fraud right. who knew nothing about trade policy who thinks <laughs> that it's china that pays 
the tariffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can somebody like that literally be elected president of the United States and he doesn't even understand the basic concepts of trade? Right. How can that happen? <laughs> how can that happen? But it did, right? Mm-hmm. So the, I think the DNC is ignoring the warning signs. Right. And that that's my as an as as an outside observer looking at what's happening with the Democratic Party, I am so worried that stop I'm just stop worrying about how the Bernie Bros are going to perceive like perceive this the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. And just do what's, I, I think, just do what's best for the electability of a candidate. And right. honestly, the future of the country, because you're the last sane party. Mm-hmm. Well, you said this before. Thank you, you Jake. <laughs> you said this before. You watch this happen to your own party. Yeah. And Donald Trump become president uh, and, and the head of that party. Yeah. So you're seeing exactly what you saw happen with the Republicans kind of develop with the Democrats, an overcorrection, uh, 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 almost like a culture of fear, like anything to prevent Trump from winning. Yeah. And as long as our, as long as our election, our voting rules, the way that we, with the first past the post voting in the electoral college, there's only only going to ever be two two parties. Now right. that either means that one of the parties stops existing mm-hmm. and another party takes its place or there's a transformation within the party with how established the Democrats and the Republican parties are as a private institution. They're, it's highly unlikely that either go away. Right. So it's going to be a transformation within the party. And at the moment with 80% of the 80, 80 plus percent of the, of the party supporting the president, I just don't count on the Republicans to changing, change. the, changing yeah. anytime soon. So I think some of these candidates will be out soon. I mean, it's, it, it does show that there's For a, the Democrats. Yeah. 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 I, I'm pretty sure that they will. Yeah. Um, I sure hope so because I want a smaller field. Also, everybody wants a smaller field. Um, do they? Yeah. I think I feel like that's the same. That's the idea that everyone I talk to, they're like, dude, there's way too many. But I haven't heard a Democrat say, yeah, let's yeah. have more people join. Yeah. I've heard yeah. I've heard people say we're, we're like, really? Another yeah. one? Come yeah. on. Yeah. Everybody. Wants what makes you think you yeah. need to be president? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go be it. Go do something else with your public service uh, desire. <laughs> Right. Well, I think there's a there's a, there's a lot of ego there, and there's a lot of people who are using the platform for self-aggrandizement and 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 um and just getting their name out there because they may be planning for a run for Senate. Right. Mary Williamson very well might be trying to running for Congress, and then what's better than that is name recognition mm-hmm. in a political culture that now values emotion over reason. So I, that's just my. Having said that, she said a lot of really awesome things. No, I mean, on an academic level, like you can hear what she says and you're just like, yeah, that's a great starting point for debate. Like she's obviously very smart Mm -hmm. and then can talk about philosophy, which is awesome. I love I would love to have a, you know, debate like that. But when you're talking about governance and being able to articulate that and be able to take that philosophy and turn it into policy, you need someone who who knows the nat- who knows the environment of of Congress and someone who can actually get who can actually get that kind of stuff done otherwise it's just words mm-hmm. right yeah i completely agree so one of the other things that came up what are how are we doing on time by the way i'm just curious we got about yeah we're, oh, we, we don't have much minutes. time so one of the other things uh, there was a moment that i thought was was really interesting mm-hmm. last night that i think you guys would appreciate and that is when elizabeth warren was asked uh, they were talking about how everybody's being labeled a socialist. Mm-hmm. And then oh. Pete Buttigieg says, Pete Buttigieg says, you know what? We can be on the far left and we'll be called a bunch of evil socialists or we can be centrist and we'll still be called a bunch of evil socialists. Mm-hmm. So really, it doesn't matter. We need to do what 
we think is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each, you know, so different people have different policies and he's a really sharp guy, right? <laughs> but then the interviewer, and I don't remember which one it was, asked Elizabeth Warren, well, you've identified yourself. You say you're not a socialist as many people say you are mm-hmm. um, because your policies are so similar to Bernie Sanders, who very clearly identifies as a democratic socialist. So um, you identify yourself as a capitalist. And so tell us why. And she didn't do it. Uh, and that was really unfortunate because there are a lot of good reasons to identify yourself as a capitalist. Right. I think not this sort of multinational capitalism that you were referring to, Jake. Mm-hmm. I'm completely opposed to these kind of monopolistic practices, mm-hmm. but like small business capitalism, which is where Elizabeth Warren comes from, mm-hmm. um, actually produces initiative. So I'll just say I believe in public yeah. private public private partnerships, right, in ways that actually facilitate innovation and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, again, I'm outing myself. If anybody listens to this, if I'm doing things, so I'm not a socialist. Right. I just want to make that very clear. Well, it mm-hmm. seems to work in the developing world, and in terms of public private partnerships, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, how loan structures from the World Bank Group and other in in, in other investment banks and organizations work and if it's working well in the developing world why wouldn't it work here well and it has worked here when you have the anti-monopoly laws in place Mm -hmm. this is this is Mm -hmm. the problem it's not that everyone is so anti-capitalist and it's also i mean you guys have talked about this Mm -hmm. and i think we all agree on uh, the fact that what people are referring to that has to do yeah. with preservation of the public good is not socialism mm-hmm. because socialism is an economic system, an e- economic and um, ultimately a political system too, mm-hmm. but it's not, it has the potential for abuse, but that's, we're not talking about owning the means of production. Right. No. Um, we're talking not even about, Bernie Sanders is talking about right. That. Utilities, right. Utilities and things like that. And so healthcare becoming, being a public good, which it actually is. So, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just thought that was really interesting and I wish someone would have pressed her on mm-hmm. that and not allowed her to kind of pivot the conversation because I think she could have easily come up with, I think that she, I think she is mm-hmm. at the core that she does believe in capitalism, right. um, but she went on to talk about how she took down the big banks. So she had this sort of prepared, I'm a yeah. fighter. I took down Wall Street. I'm, you know, I'll go up against Wall Street. So, um, but I think it was unfortunate that she didn't say, yes, I am, here's why I'm a capitalist as opposed to uh, Bernie's uh, identity as a democratic socialist. When I hear that, I think about, like my caveat caveat about like, oh, I'm not a hippie even though I'm uh, worried about climate change. I think that being labeled a capitalist as a Democrat can be construed and she was worried about that. Um, in the same way that they don't want to be labeled socialists. I think that she was trying to avoid being labeled a capitalist, and that's probably... I'm, I'm sure she had something prepared, and that's why she pivoted. But I also would imagine there's a concern of now, from that point on, you would be labeled a capitalist and then be targeted and that as, as a negative by either her you know, her opponents on the same side or on the Republican side? I think I would just identify myself as entrepreneurial. Right. Right. So I think that being an entrepreneur is is something that is potentially taps into innovation that actually can play into creating a better society. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like a huge capitalist. In fact, Mm -hmm. by the way, I will not purchase oil stock. Right. Right. I want my husband and I is like, you should buy this. No, I'm not going to. I want socially conscious stocks, things like that. So... Uh, but you can still support the idea of capitalism without being a um, always 
profit-driven endeavor that is focused on the accumulation mm-hmm. of unlimited wealth. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Can you? Is that is that unrealistic? I don't know. Yeah. It, I don't think it's un, necessarily unreal, unrealistic. I, she may no Warren may have talked about this, but I think it just going along with your your point that there was an avenue for her to differentiate herself from yeah. from Bernie Sanders, which she needs to do if she wants to win because they're so like linked yeah. in terms of like her ideology that they're they're probably going to split the vote for between each other and yeah. and, and then if you, if you're a progressive, you're probably worried about that because that's gonna that's gonna benefit a moderate candidate like mm-hmm. Joe Biden, and um, I think. I mean, if she, did, I mean, I didn't watch it, so if she did, correct me. But I'd be, she could have, and I think it would have been a really good debate for her, is to talk about the difference between a public and in in public goods and private goods, just conceptually, and how the government has the ability to overcome coordination problems that the private sector does does not. And with certain public goods, the government has way. When you're talking about efficiency over over equity, and the government has the ability to equitably maybe not as efficiently, but equitably distribute those public resources in a way that works for society. And that's not Mm anti-capitalist. And to be able to articulate that, I think is incredibly important if we're going to have any sort of economic debate going forward and you don't want to be labeled as a socialist. Mm -hmm. I I think that if she, if she didn't try to bring that up, she missed a major opportunity. I I agree. And you know, so part of this for me comes from the fact that my husband says Elizabeth Warren is a socialist. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, she's not. No, she's not. And then she missed that opportunity Mm -hmm. to make that differentiation. And I think that that was, I don't know if anybody else noticed that, Mm -hmm. but I sure did. Yeah. Because I think you're right. What you just said about Bernie and Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Warren splitting the vote and then getting someone who's more moderate, Mm -hmm. who, I don't know. Electability is up for grabs. Right. One thing I want to say that kind of recaps everything is I enjoy in, during these debates or anytime there's an interviewer or a politician being interviewed and they are asked these hard questions because I don't think these jobs should be easy and they should be forced to a- answer these questions that maybe they've been avoiding or address certain situations that they've not really addressed. So I don't know. That's just me thinking about I like when they're they're asked those hard questions that's the idea right yeah that's what and there's oh I just want to say have you guys voted in this election no okay there's an election please vote (laughs) it matters I know I haven't on a local level it's really city of Vancouver city council what's the deadline August 6th. Oh, I got your plenty ballot. of time. Well, yeah, you got plenty of time, but I'm gonna, now I'm going to be texting you, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, did you vote? Did you vote? Yeah, I because these yet. local elections yeah, really matter. For sure. You're going to be electing school board representatives. Yeah. Right? You know, all the trouble that happened last year. Mm-hmm. City council. County council. I'm not voting for anything unless they hire me for the county. I'm sick of applying. All right. Do you have any final thoughts? Jake? Donna? I think uh, we, mine is, please vote, people. It can make a difference in whether you have to sit at a stoplight for 45 seconds or 30. Is that real? Yeah. I got patience. I'll sit for 45. No, come on. (laughs) No, seriously. It's, it really does determine your quality of life, whether there are parks and, and, uh, you know, how we deal with homelessness. That's Mm -hmm. a really big issue right Mm -hmm. now in Vancouver. So please vote. Determine who you want for city council. Uh, Indivisible actually endorsed diana perez just mm. had to say that yeah i saw her sign i thought that was cool jake uh r.a.p dan coates the last sane person in the administration oh yeah oh god <laughs> all right bye guys bye <laughs> bye thank you <laughs> bye.